and open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. We're back to our series of messages on the wonderful Counselor, how God Himself personally counseled people as recorded in the Scripture. Here in chapter 4 of Jonah, we have God dealing with Jonah about his attitude. Jonah was a prophet with a bad attitude. We're going to learn how God dealt with him. And my prayer is that God will deal with all of us in our attitudes today. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we need you to search us and try us and see if there be any wicked way in us and to lead us in the way everlasting. May the light of your word shine into the attitudes of our hearts and may you make the adjustments that are necessary there. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Jonah was a prophet with a bad attitude. (laughs) And the amazing thing about this story and so many in the Bible is that the greatest characters in the Bible are presented with all of their flaws and failures. And the book of Jonah is a story about a flawed prophet and a great God. Jonah was a successful prophet who prophesied in Israel uh, and was very excited about God keeping his promises to the nation of Israel and giving them victories over their enemies. But then one day God called him to his greatest challenge. To minister to his enemies. I went for counseling one time for 10 sessions to a great Christian counselor, and he told me, he said, Dan, your greatest challenge in pastoral ministry will be ministering to your critics, ministering to your enemies, ministering to those who don't like you, ministering to those who have hurt you deeply. Now, I hope that you are one of those people that's gotten through unscathed in life and Nobody's ever abused you or hurt you or disappointed you. But it's likely that in a group this size, there are some who have been deeply hurt, often by people they trusted or people that they loved. You see, Jonah was a successful prophet and he was a patriotic prophet. But he didn't like Ninevites. He felt that he had good reasons not to like Ninevites. They were Assyrians who had conquered one city after another in that part of the world. And when they conquered a city, they would skin their captives alive and make things out of the leather. They would put hooks in the noses of their prisoners and lead them back to their country with a hook in the nose to be slaves. They delighted in 
torture, which is demonstrated in the walls of the city of Nineveh, which was excavated back in the 1800s by Layard, the uh, great excavator of Nineveh. On the walls of their palaces were pictures of the tortures that they did to foreign kings, soldiers, and their enemies. The patriotic prophet Jonah didn't like Ninevites. But then God told him to go and preach to them. And you know the story. He went the opposite way to Tarshish, took a ship, and uh, headed for Tarshish. The storm comes up. He's asleep. Uh, The only solution is throw him in. So he sacrifices his life for the crew members of that ship. They come to believe in the God of Israel who controls the weather. And God prepares a fish to swallow him. And eventually, after him getting right with God through prayer of confession and yieldedness in the fish, he's spewed up on the shore. He gets a second chance. And finally, he goes to Nineveh. He preaches a message of coming judgment, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And shockingly enough, from the least of them to the greatest of them, they repent in sackcloth and ashes. They're sorry for their sins, their wickedness, and they turn in repentance to God, and he preaches the greatest revival in the history of the world. The whole city turns to God in repentance. Amazing. But chapter 4 comes... And he's still got a bad attitude. He's got a bad attitude all the way through this thing. It's amazing. And he gets there, and he's in a snit. Greatly displeased Jonah, he became angry. He was mad, he was angry, and he prayed an angry prayer. It's always good to be honest with God. Tell him how you really feel. Start where you are with God. Don't wait till your heart's right to pray. Start praying. You read the Psalms. David starts out on all kinds of emotional messes, and by the end of the Psalm, God has tuned his heart. Go to God and pour out your heart to the Lord with whatever junk is in it. Give it to Him. Talk it out. And Jonah does that. He says, I knew you were going to do that. I knew it. God, you are too nice. Nineveh needs to be nuked, not forgiven. You said you were going to destroy it. You didn't even give them any hope. But now, you're not destroying them. I wanted to see you judge them for the evil that they have done. Sometimes we wonder, why doesn't God rain down His judgment on those who have spit in His face, who have so defied Him, who have so risen up against Him, have done so many wicked and evil, blatant things against the Lord? And we say, why doesn't God do something? That's the way Jonah feels. I knew it, he says. I knew it. This is why I went to Tarshish. 
I knew you were going to be nice to these really rotten people. You are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents concerning calamity. Somebody asked me if I could show up next week to help in Sunday school to tell them when the time of the rapture is. I'm teaching another class, but I don't know when the rapture, I wouldn't be any good on that. I don't know when the rapture is going to happen. Do you? There's preachers on TV that know. They got all these moons all straight and stuff. But, you know, I don't know when the rapture is going to take place. But I do know that God is merciful. And people who say, what about the promise of his coming? Yes, he's going to come again, as the choir said. But we say, well, why doesn't he? Why doesn't he? Evil is growing worse. The technological abilities available to evil today are incredible. And technology is being used around the world in the purveyance of all kinds of vice and violence and evil. And we think, could it get any worse? How many of you remember the 70s? Anybody here? Yeah, I was sure the rapture was going to happen in the 70s. I was sure of it. It couldn't get any worse. Do you remember that? But then it did. And here we are. Who would have thought? Why has Jesus not come back yet? Because God is long-suffering and merciful. He wants your loved ones to get saved first. He wants a lot of people to get saved first. And in these last days, the gospel is going out throughout the world and people are getting saved. And when that last soul gets saved, the rapture is going to happen, but I don't know. I would love to lead that last soul to Christ, wouldn't you? person says amen and then we all go up Be great i don't know when the rapture is going to take place but i know that god is more merciful than you would ever be or i would ever be and he is long suffering and he relents concerning calamity why has god's judgment not fallen on this nation which has murdered millions of its unborn children why has the acts of his judgment not fallen yet because he's merciful he wants people to get saved wants them to come to the lord god is more merciful than you can ever imagine but i'll tell you when the calamity falls when the judgment comes when the tribulation comes it will be worse than you can ever imagine because god's judgment is more severe than you could ever think of God is greater than you can imagine in His mercy and in His judgment. But here, He is patient, even with the Ninevites. And so, the only solution that uh, Jonah comes up with, he says, uh, would you kill me, Lord? Verse 3, I'm ready to die. Death is better than life. And the wonderful counselor asks him a very short question. We've seen that with a wonderful counselor. He asks questions. And when God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He asks a question to try to get us thick-headed people to think straight. Do you have good reason to be angry? Do you have good reason to be angry? God asks him the question. And... Jonah doesn't answer it. He doesn't answer it. 
don't know if he's not paying attention or what. Jonah went out from the city, sat east of it. He made a shelter, sits under the shade to see what would happen. He says, this is going to be good. I'm going to watch God nuke Nineveh the way he nuked Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to sit here and watch this happen, and I'm going to enjoy every minute of it. You see, he was a patriot. I'm a patriot. I love my country. I was out of my country for this past week. And I'll tell you, I always want to kiss the ground when I get back to the United States, except you don't get on the ground. You go in that little tube. So, you know, what are you going to kiss? I don't know. But I'm always glad to get back to the USA. I love this country. I'm so glad I'm an American. But I'll tell you, I'm a Christian first. I like that Mike Pence said that he was a Christian first, and then an American, and then a Republican. It's the right order. Because everything that is patriotic is not necessarily Christian. We have to examine our attitudes, especially in a world swept up with the left and the right, with conservatives and liberals and all of this political discussion that takes place, that we would have a genuinely Christian view of what is going on in the world in regard to our enemies. What if God called you to go to Yemen and to reach extremist, radical, militant Muslims with the gospel? How would you feel about going there? What if God called you a little closer to home in the cultural war in our country? What if God called you to have a ministry to the LGBT community? What about that? It's easy for us to judge Jonah, but I think there's more of Jonah in us than we would like to recognize sometimes. How did God get an answer out of Jonah? Well, God used some circumstances. He's sitting there, and, uh, and then the Lord appointed a plant, and it grew up, and it produced shade over him. And he was happy about the plant. That's the first time Jonah's happy in this whole book. He's been sad about his assignment to Nineveh. Uh, he's been sad about the storm. He's been sad about uh, the fish. He's been sad about his job. Everything has caused him to be upset in a snit. Uh, finally, he's happy about the plant. But God wasn't done. God then appointed a worm. Hey, God can appoint a worm. Isn't that amazing? God can appoint anything. God is sovereign in all details. I was so happy you're riding down the road yesterday and it said there was a crash by a coming exit. And I thought, there must be a Calvinist running this thing. Because usually it says there's an accident, you know. But if you believe that God is in sovereign control, there are no accidents. There are crashes, but there are no accidents. And here we see God appointed a worm and then God appointed a scorching east wind and it beat down. And so the plant has withered by the worm and now a scorching east wind and sun beating down on Jonah's head so much that it becomes faint. How many remember hot weather? Does anybody remember hot weather? 
It was so hot last week, we had to jump in a swimming pool. But we were down in Mexico. Sorry to bring that up. But uh, does it get hot here in North Carolina in the summertime? That's what I heard. I heard it got hot. And uh, I want you to think about hot for just a minute. And I'll tell you, he was so hot, it beat down on him again. He wants to die. This guy is suicidal. He become faint, begged for all his soul to die, saying death is better than life. God asked him the question again. Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? How many of you ever got angry at a plant? I was angry at some plants a while back. I was trying to grow. I'd been traveling. I was traveling down the, the Blue Ridge Parkway with my son on a motorcycle. The two of us were riding motorcycles. And, and there were rhododendrons for miles, miles of smiles. Rhododendrons in bloom on both sides of the Blue Ridge Parkway. What a beautiful ride. And so when I got home, I got, we got to, I've got to plant rhododendrons. I'm going to put them right out in that little bank in front of my house. And every time I see those rhododendrons, I'm going to think about that good time I had with my son. I killed more rhododendrons. I mean, I watered them. I put coffee grounds on them. I did every, I checked the pH of the soil. You know, I was like putting all kinds of soil out. I I killed one rhododendron after another. I got mad at those rhododendrons. So I know what it's like to be mad at a plant. Maybe you got mad at that, that, that Christmas plant, you know, your poinsettia that you thought you'd keep till Easter, but you know, whatever. And uh, we get mad at the plant. He got mad at the plant. He's angry to the point of death because he lost his plant. Finally, finally, God got an answer to the question. I have good reason to be angry. Why is it so hard to deal with bitterness? You know, in counseling, I, over many years of counseling Christians, I found out there's a lot of the same problems. Men tend to have problems with sexual immorality. And women tend to have problems with bitterness. And when you combine those two things, where a wife is bitter about her husband's problems with sexuality, I'll tell you, you've got marriage problems. Women seem to have more problems with bitterness than men. In my experience, I think it's because women have better memory. They, they can relive Uh, emotional experiences. They can relive the emotions of things. Men can't even remember what they did. You know what I mean? It's like they don't remember what happened, you know? But a woman can relive something that somebody said to her and how she felt about it from 50 years ago, like it was today, where the man is like, I said what? What did I do? You know, men don't know what they did. Bitterness. Why is bitterness such a root problem? The Bible says bitterness is one of the three root sins that the Bible talks about. Did you ever try to root out the roots of a tree in your yard? It's not easy to get rid of roots. They really do hold on. It's hard to get them out. Why is bitterness such a root sin? Because we are sure that we are right and the other people are wrong. Amen? Yeah. I mean, we are so right and they are so wrong. We see it so clearly. And Jonah felt like he was so right. And the Ninevites were so incredibly wrong. How could God be compassionate on people who were so entirely wrong? He was mad. We see the descent of this 
As we see God's counseling, how anger leads to bitterness, and bitterness leads to depression, and depression leads to suicide. My father had a wonderful way of talking about the two ways to live. He said, yes, Jesus calls us to the narrow road that leads to life, and few there be that find it. And it's a narrow door. We only come through faith in Christ. But once we go through that narrow door and we get on that narrow path, it begins to open up. (laughs) Oh my, it opens up. It opens up into eternal blessings and pleasures forevermore. Satan's way starts out the broad road. Lots of options. Do what you want to do. Follow your heart. Follow your dreams. Do whatever you want to do. But it has a way of narrowing down until they are in that corner, so wrapped up in themselves, so bitter, so hurt, so angry that they want, they think suicide is preferable to life like that. Jonah, the patriotic prophet with the bad attitude, is there. God counsels. Jonah about his attitude. And he gets him on his anger about the plant. He says, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. And then the Lord instructs him. You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals? Who are these people? These 120,000 people don't know their right hand from their left. I stopped to get directions from a man one time, and he says, you go down here and you turn right. And he had an R and an L right here. Now, that's one way to do it, you know. What was he talking about? I think he was talking about children. I think he's talking about children who don't know their left from their right. A lot of Americans don't know their left from their right, but that's another whole issue, okay, the left and the right. And the animals. God says, do you know that there's 120,000 children in this city and there's a lot of animals and I care about animals and I care about children and Jonah, you ought to care about those animals and those children too. Because I do. I think about that. God who drowned all the animals and children in the flood. God who, who destroyed with fire all the animals and the children of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's about to bring righteous judgment upon Nineveh, but he is willing to spare it because they repent. He says, you ought to care. You ought to have compassion. A number of years ago, Diane and I were traveling to China, to the Yunnan province for our son's wedding. He had gone there as a missionary and met a young lady that we had never met before, and her English wasn't very good. We tried to talk to her on the phone. I couldn't make much sense out of it. And then we were get, the first time we met her was the week of their wedding. And, uh, and we were on our way there. We had one suitcase with our clothes and one suitcase with gifts that we were going to give to uh, her and her family upon the occasion of their wedding. 
And there was also gospel literature, some Bibles and things in that suitcase. And we decided to, rather than take the airplane ride from Kunming up to Lijiang in the Himalayas, uh, we would take uh, the 22-hour bus ride. And so halfway through, about four in the morning, uh, we changed buses. And of course, the suitcases changed. And when we got to Lijiang, that suitcase was missing. I got mad. We tried to track it down. Where did it go? Well, nobody knew anything, you know? I got mad. We stayed in a guest house uh, that had a balcony. It overlooked the whole city of Lijiang, all those brown roofs of the city. I was up there and I was mad. We brought, it was Christian literature. I mean, it was Bibles, it was gifts. Stolen. What in the world? I was mad. And uh, God spoke to my heart. And I thought about how he had lost all those people. The Nashi people group. Over 100,000 people who don't speak Chinese, who worship the water and the fire and the sun and the moon. They're animists. They have never had Christianity among them until very recent years in which some people have gone as students, among them my son, to introduce Christ to them. And I felt sorry for God because he had lost a suitcase. He had lost people. He created these people. He made them. He blessed them with such a beautiful place to live in, and yet they didn't know him. They had turned away from him. They were worshiping the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. And God broke my heart for those people. And he began to show me that my being mad about my stuff and not being compassionate about lost people was really a wrong, selfish attitude. And God began to deal with me about some things. When I got back from that trip, uh, sometime later I was reading the newspaper, uh, and it told about how in Allentown, Pennsylvania, they had opened an LGBT community center. The mayor was there to cut the ribbon and all that. And I got mad. I thought, what's the mayor of Allentown doing giving honor to the LGBT community? They're on the wrong side of the cultural war. They're leading people into all kinds of wrong things, and they're influencing people. And they were judges and lawyers and prominent people in Allentown, Pennsylvania. God spoke to me about that. Do you love LGBTQRSTUV people? (laughs) So I wrote a tract called The True Story of the Rainbow because I think the rainbow belongs to Christians, not the LGBTQ community. I think they've misused that. But the rainbow tells a wonderful story. It tells a story of how God hates sin, but that we are all sinners, whether we are heterosexual sinners or homosexual sinners, we're all sinners in need of the Savior. We all deserve to be punished for our sins, but that God provided an ark of safety 
for Noah and his family. And the door was open to all. And how God wants to do that today. He has provided Jesus the ark of safety. And he calls all people to come to him, whether they are homosexual sinners or heterosexual sinners. The ground is all level at the foot of the cross. Nobody has a right to look down on or judge anybody else. We are all judged by God. So I wrote a track. And then I wrote a letter. They published the names of all these people that were sponsoring this center and their address at the center. So I began writing letters. I wrote individual letters to each of these people. And I said, you know, I am so sorry that some from the evangelical community have said and done hateful things towards people in your community. And I want to say I'm sorry for that. And that I am willing to be a bridge between your community and our community because I care about you and we want to be of help to you and overcome some of those barriers that have been built there. And I'd appreciate if you'd read this story because uh, we believe that we all are sinners in need of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I presented the gospel to them. Uh, you know, uh, who do you hate? Hmm. What makes you angry? What makes you happy? You tell me what makes you angry and what makes you happy, and I'll tell you where your attitudes are. How do you feel about people on the other side of the cultural war? It's so easy to be caught up in patriotism, in conservatism, or liberalism, or whatever ism that you are listening to and engaged in, and to forget that we are the representatives of the Most High God. That we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And that our job in this day is to share the Gospel through loving relationships with lost people. I like to read through the Bible. How many of you are reading through the Bible this year? Anybody take up the challenge? Praise God for you. Isn't it great? I hope God is speaking to your heart as He's speaking to me. I know one year I I was trying to think, how should Christians relate to the LGBT community? And I was reading through the book of Genesis. I got to chapter 14, and I realized that Sodom and Gomorrah was an LGBT community. Really was. And what was Abraham's relationship to it? Well, first of all, he didn't choose to live in it. That's one thing I noticed. Lot chose to live there. And he and his family were corrupted by it. Abram decided to live up on the hill. (laughs) He didn't live and raise his family in Sodom and Gomorrah. And I believe the first thing we learn from that story is that we as believers should not be raising our family in this culture. This is not Israel, folks. It is Sodom. We are living in a Sodom culture. And if you engage in everything that's going on in this culture, you will be not living as you should. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, Come out from among them and be separate. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Almighty. God has called us to be a separate people to be separate from sin, to live in the world, but not to be of the world, not 
engaging in this culture and all of its entertainments and all of its ideas. Yes, any dead fish can float downstream, amen? God has called us to be the salmon that swim upstream. I hope you're swimming upstream. It's not easy. It's a lot easier to float down with the flow, but you need to take a stand. And especially in regard to our own house and our own family, we are not going to raise our children in a sodomite culture in which we live, in which these things are considered acceptable activities and considered to be healthy and right. The second thing I noticed about Abraham was that when foreign kings came and invaded Sodom and Gomorrah and carried off his nephew Lot and carried off many of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, he formed a militia of his own servants, armed them and trained them, and traveled 120 miles to the northern part of what is now Israel, to Dan, attacked them by night, defeated them, and brought back all the people and all the goods that had been stolen from Sodom and Gomorrah by these foreign kings. Restored all these things to them. Wouldn't take even a shoelace. And I think we need to reach out and help people. I think we need to love people. You know, these wrong ways of of life have all kinds of of horrible consequences for people. Health consequences, psychological consequences. I believe we as Christians need to get creative about reaching out to those whose choices in life have led them to great difficulty and despair. We ought to help deliver them when we can and reach out to them in love and kindness and compassion. The other thing I see is in that story is that all of a sudden this character Melchizedek shows up. And Abram pays tithes to him and he's a priest of the Most High God and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah hear about the Most High God, the creator of heaven and earth, and they are led to Melchizedek who is a priest of the Most High God. I see that as a picture of the fact that we need to lead people to Christ and tell them about Jesus. Remember one lady, she said to me, she said, I had a chance to witness this week, Pastor. I said, oh, tell me about it. She said, well, there was a man out on the church steps smoking a cigarette, and I told him not to do that or he was going to hell. I was like waiting for the witnessing part. You know what I mean? You know, that's how the world sees us. They see us a bunch of judgmental, condemning, looking down on others from some kind of a pedestal. No, we need to come alongside people and say, you know, I'm a sinner too. In counseling homosexual people, as I've done down over the years, I have to come alongside them and say, you know, I'm a heterosexual sinner. And it's a battle I'll fight to the day I die because we're all tempted to do wrong things with our sexuality But you know what? God loves you. Jesus died for you. And He can lead you into a holy life. He can lead you into a life that pleases Him. He can empower you to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. Yes, you can have that kind of life. And then the most beautiful thing I see about Abram in his relationship to Sodom and Gomorrah is when the Lord comes with the two angels and meets with Abram and and tells him what he's going to do. He's come down to see 
if the sin of Sodom is so great and, and, and to bring the, the fiery judgment upon it. And what does Abram do when God says, I'm going to bring fire down on Sodom and Gomorrah? He doesn't say, well, it's about time. He doesn't say, well, I hope you nuke them all. What does he say? Would you spare it if there were 100 righteous? Would you spare it if it was 50? Would you spare it if it was 10? And he figures Lot and his family and the people they've witnessed to, there must be at least 10 righteous. He intercedes for Sodom and Gomorrah with the Lord. He prays for these lost people. He prays for the LGBT community. What do you do when you come across the television show that is portraying LGBT life in a positive way? What do you do when you hear about public schools that are are portraying this as an optional lifestyle? What do you do when you encounter people who are living this way so blatantly and openly in this world? What do you do as a friend of mine, dear Christian friend of mine, whose grandson has announced that he's marrying another man? What do you do with your loved ones that are espousing this worldview? Well, what Abram did was he prayed for them. He interceded. How many of you know somebody personally who is engaged in this lifestyle? You know somebody. I want to tell you, here's the action item from today's message. I want you to put that person on your prayer list. I want you to begin praying for them. I want you to begin loving them and caring for them in a humble way and reaching out to them because God has compassion on them. As much compassion as he had for the children of Nineveh, as much compassion he has for animals. God loves the animals. You know, it's funny, we, we've never had cable, but our house in Lynchburg has cable. And I, what I noticed about cable is that it's all about saving the dogs and cats. <laughs> these quivering cats and these shaking dogs and, and $19 a month. And I, I've never seen those ads before. And I thought, wow, there must be a lot of people that care about the shivering dogs and cats. And I thought, you know, God cares about the shivering dogs and cats. He cares about the animals. God loves the animals. He made the animals. And he loves the children. And he loves the people of this world. He loves the sodomites of this world. He cares about all kinds of people. What is God's ultimate word for this matter. It is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. The proper balance that we must have in the face of the tidal wave of LGBT ideas and activities in our world. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, all those kind of people need to get saved, and that's all of our kind of people, isn't it? And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit 
of our God. How are we washed by the blood of Jesus? We get saved when we admit that we are guilty sinners and cannot save ourselves. We trust in Jesus who died for us and rose again. And we get saved. We're washed by His blood. Amen? And then He calls us that that same blood that has washed us would cover the sins of those who have sinned against us. He calls those who have been forgiven to forgive. And when we forgive as we have been forgiven by God in Christ, then we have the grace to love and to reach out to those who have abused us, those who have hurt us, those who have opposed us, those who seem to be our enemies in the culture, we have a redemptive approach, a Christian approach, a blood-washed approach to the people around us for whom God has eternal compassion. Let's bow in prayer. How's your attitude? In the light of God's Word, have you been washed by the blood of the Lamb? Have you come to God as a guilty sinner, admitted your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ who died for you and rose again? If you have not done that, today is a day of salvation for you. Right where you are in your heart, you can admit to God you're a guilty sinner and believe in Christ. Perhaps you say, I know, I've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. But I've not had the right kind of attitude towards people who have hurt me, people who have opposed me, or people who just seem so wrong. But I'm asking the Lord today to cleanse my attitudes towards those who have wronged me and those who are wrong, that I might be able to take down that wall and to reach out to them. Father, work in our hearts. Cleanse our hearts. Change us to be the people that You want us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank You for an opportunity to come to Your house Oh, Lord, it may be chilly outside, but we are certainly warmed. Our hearts are warmed by your word and your truth, and we're just grateful and thankful for that. Thank you for bringing Pastor Dan and Diane back from their trip safely to our house, to your house. Lord, we just uh, thank you for their ministry, and we thank you for all the ministries here at Wake Chapel. We thank you for the music. We thank you for all the youth ministries. We thank you for the Sunday school classes. We ask that you bless each and every one that participates in these ministries, O Lord. Lord, we also ask your blessings upon our uh, mission of the day. That's Bonnie Pearson with Prepare for Messiah's Coming. She's a vocalist, a dramatist, a speaker that uses those talents to bring your biblical truths to others. Lord, we ask that we do the same when we leave this that we take our talents and we share those truths with others. Lord, as we leave here today, we just ask that you will lead, guide, and direct us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.